All right, let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We, <clears throat> last time, uh, which was a few weeks back, we looked at uh, chapter 10, the last half of chapter 10. And uh, the whole chapter 10 was Jesus sending out his team to go out and minister and serve and bring the message of the kingdom. And he gave a whole bunch of instructions and and we have a lot to learn, and you can and see so much in that, in that chapter. But, but he gave us his example, and so we're to go out and to be like him in the world, to bring his message and to bring his love, and that's the, to be a light in the world. We've already saw that back in, in, chapter, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, that we need to be lights in the world. But, I, but he brought it out three times, and it really kind of hit me, too, when I was studying that passage, the fear that we face. We're afraid. We're afraid to be the light in the world. We're afraid of what people think. We're afraid of so many things. But three times he says, don't be afraid. And, and the three reasons he gives is one is that he is the truth and the truth will prevail. The second thing is that, is that what can man do to you? They're going to beat you up? He says, rather fear the one who has your eternal destiny in his hands. Fear the creator, the maker. We kind of misplace our, our uh, fear and we put it on man and we, we need to, to only fear God in the right sort of way, of course. And then the last thing was that he cares for his own. He cares about sparrows, but he cares about us so much more than sparrows. And, and so not, don't be afraid because the smallest details even, he's there, he, he takes care of us. He told them to be bold and to, to confess him before men, to be totally committed, to be sold out, to take up our cross and follow him. And these are good marching orders for us to take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him, the Lord and Savior Jesus. So chapter 11, you know, some have said that you start going into chapter 11 and 12, you start getting, you know, uh, rejection, you start getting kind of different reactions to Jesus, but what I titled this chapter, or at least this first half of this chapter, verses 1 through 19, is Look No Further. Uh, and, and you'll see why I say that in just a few minutes. Let's start in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. He didn't just send them out and say, well, you take care of it. I'm going to sit here by the pool. No, he said, you go out, but I'm going out too. He couldn't stop. The, the message, there's no time, you know, like to, to you know, just let uh, the message languish. And, and for him, it, of course, it was all about letting people know about the kingdom of God and, and that it was there. The kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 2, it says, when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? This is very interesting when you, and I, and I didn't quite get all this, uh, you know, in my previous times reading through this, but there's really something going on here in the life and the heart of John the Baptist, we kind of picture John the Baptist as this, this completely bold guy, fearless, right? Nothing could faze him. 
you know, the guy that eats locusts and honey and, you know, dresses in a, you know, camel's hair, which is pretty coarse stuff. You ever been near a camel? Have you ever touched one? Now watch out because they, they, they don't like that. But John the Baptist, he is in prison now. And, and the reason he's in prison, because of who he was, because of the kind of person that he was, because of the ministry that God gave him, he spoke out, right, against Herod, King Herod. He confronted King Herod and he got in trouble because of it. Later in Matthew, we'll see what happens to the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 14. But let me read to you what someone said about this. Herod Antipas of Galilee had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. And during that visit, he seduced his brother's wife. He came home again, dismissed his own wife, and married the sister-in-law whom he had lured away from her husband. That's what John said. What you're doing is wrong. This is wrong what you're doing. He wasn't afraid to call a spade a spade. And publicly and sternly, John rebuked Herod. Says it was never safe to rebuke an eastern despot, and Herod took his revenge. John was thrown into the dungeons of the fortress of Macareus in the mountains near the Dead Sea, on the west, on the, excuse me, on the east side of the, of the Dead Sea, an area you wouldn't want to be in. He's thrown into the dungeons there. Why? Because he was speaking the truth. So John the Baptist, again, this character that he had, you look at who he is and what God called him to do, we're going we're to look at that today, but <clears throat> some figure that he was probably in prison for maybe up to a year. It wasn't just a couple of weeks and then his lawyer got him out on bail and all this stuff. No, he was languishing in this, in this filthy, rotten prison for up to perhaps a year. And so he's in there, and his, his disciple, it appears that his disciples uh, could still come and visit him. And so they heard, he heard through them what he was doing, what Christ was doing, what Jesus, the Christ, was doing. And he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now that language uh, is, is very much messianic, meaning looking forward to the Messiah, the one who is to come. That's language you, you read in the Old Testament when they're looking forward to this, to this Messiah. This word Christ, let me just explain something first to you. The word Christ is equal to the word Messiah, right? Christ is in the Greek language. Messiah is in the Hebrew language. And literally what the word means is anointed one. The one who was anointed to come and be the answer that mankind needed. It wasn't just for the Jews, but ultimately, you know, uh, primarily and at least firstly was to the Jews where the Messiah would come. But, but ultimately, the Messiah was for the whole human race. So, again, this one who was to come, John is saying, are you sure, you know, are you really the one? Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that, that is to come? It makes you think, you know, this guy, John the Baptist now, he, he's kind of shaken. He's kind of shaken up. Was he unsure? Did he not really know? Did John the Baptist have doubts? What was going on here? You know, again, being in a prison like that, you're going to get very weak. They're not feeding him, you know, three square meals a day. 
They're probably throwing him scraps every now and then. And, and do you know what it's like when you get sick? I've been sick for the last few weeks, and I know when you get sick, you, you, you kind of get in a weakened state, and I think it affects you spiritually as well, or it can do, where you start to like, not, you're not able to kind of, uh, you know, you're not on top of your game, so to speak, right? Is that true? It's true for me. I don't know about, about you, but, but can you imagine being in this rotten prison now for, for a very long time, drained and, and weak? John was a powerful preacher with a strong message, but he was also human. John the Baptist was human. There's only one who was fully human, fully God, and that was who? Jesus. John the Baptist was fully human, yes. Look at... John chapter 1, I want you to turn ahead to me, John chapter 1, verse 29. Kind of get some perspective here. This this guy, John, in chapter 1 of, excuse me, yeah, John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, says the next day, John, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He said, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove, and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. This is John the Baptist. This is the guy who confronts King Herod. This is the guy who has this message, you know, you need to repent and turn from your sin to prepare your heart for Messiah, for the one who's coming after me. He says, I'm not the one, but there's one coming after me. And now we see back in chapter 11, we see he's in prison and, and, and something's going on there. You say, well, you know, uh, you know, some people say, well, that's not what's happening at all. But I think that is what's happening. He's human. He needed some reassurance. You know, should we expect someone else or, or are you the one? I'm, you know, I, I, I thought I knew. Interestingly enough, later on in this chapter, Jesus would speak about John the Baptist and he would, he would compare him to who? To Elijah, right? And we'll get to that. But, but when you think about Elijah and you read the story of Elijah, you go back in first. First Kings chapter 18, 19, around there, you see Elijah, man, this guy went through the darkest, deepest pits you can imagine. This is Elijah, the great prophet, who could, you know, stop the, you know, by his prayer, stop the, 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 the rain. John the Baptist, here he is, he's in prison. I think part of it as well as being weak in that is that John was also expecting more. John was expecting more. He was expecting, as the whole nation really was, was for Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, to come and do what? To overthrow Rome, any other government, to set up his kingdom, to usher in that kingdom. Because, why is that? Because the prophecies 
prophesied that that's what Messiah would come and do, that he would come and set up his kingdom. Yes, that is true, but, but one of the things they didn't pay a lot of attention to was that the Messiah would also come and suffer and would die and pay the price for the sin of the human race. So John the Baptist, he, was, you know, he, he knew the prophecies of Messiah and God had called him to be the forerunner of Messiah. But someone said this discouraged and lonely began to wonder if Jesus were truly the Messiah, why did he allow his forerunner to languish in prison? Come on. You know, I'm your forerunner. Why are you letting me stay here in this prison? Someone else said that the greatest characters in the Bible all had weak moments. There's no reason to think that John was any less subject to human weakness than figures such as Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David and so many others. John the Baptist. I wonder sometimes and, and think about some of the trials that we go through as human beings. And none of us are in, in any way, although this is the, the math is a little different, I'll get to that, but, but comparing us to like somebody like John the Baptist, right? So you and I, do you have doubts? Do you have times where you feel weak? Do you have times where you question where you are? Interesting to see in this passage, Jesus doesn't condemn him for it. Jesus doesn't condemn him for it. Now, I, I've heard it in different places where they kind of, you know, let's embrace our doubts and, and, and entertain them and celebrate our doubts. Well, that's ridiculous. But it's not to say that we don't have doubts. But Jesus dispelled them with his word that he was the Messiah, that he was fulfilling the prophecies. Maybe right now he's fulfilling the first half of the prophecy the, the, that he would suffer and die. And the second half was yet to be fulfilled at his return, when judgment would come, when he would set up his kingdom and rule. But the question still remains, is he the one? And can we stop looking? Look at verse 4. Jesus replied, go back. And report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away or get stumbled on account of me. He says, go back and tell John these things. Think about it, though. Did he release him from prison? No. He, had, he was encouraged by the word, but he didn't release him. He didn't give him maybe what he expected. We know what happens to John the Baptist. He never gets out of prison, does he? He gets out of prison when he is murdered, killed for his faith, for speaking the truth. And, of course, we know that he is ushered into the kingdom with God. But his message appears to be, Jesus' message to John is just keep your faith. Keep your faith in me, that he is the one. And you don't need to look any further. You don't need to go looking for another. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus or. It's not maybe there's someone else who's going to do everything that I want him to do. Set me free out of this prison. No, he says, this is, this is the way it is right now, but I am the one, the Messiah, the Christ. He doesn't always do what we like. 
But he says, look at the evidence, look at the proof, look at what I'm doing. And, and these things that he quoted were all things that were part of the messianic prophecies that what, what the Messiah who would come would do. Yes, part of it was what he had not done yet. This, again, ushering in the kingdom, setting up his rule and his reign. That is yet to come. But the other stuff he was already fulfilling to show. He is the one. Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, look no further. He is the answer. Look at the evidence. I remember years ago when I, when I lived in San Diego, there was a, a campaign and they had these bumper stickers, right? And you all like bumper stickers. There's somebody in this room that really, really likes bumper stickers. <laughs> but you... Uh, There was this bumper sticker, and it said this, I found it, right? And all they did was they distributed these bumper stickers to people. They put them on their car, and then they had billboards that said, I found it. And so the idea was to say, well, what did you find? You know, that was their idea, and it was, it was put on by a Christian group to, to uh, you know, and that's, at some point in time, uh, if I remember correctly, the, the billboards were changed to, to give the answer. This is what we found. We found Jesus, that he is the answer, that he is the one. Two scriptures say this. Number one, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other name, no other way, no other path, no other journey. And Jesus, you know the words, what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only one mediator, Paul says in Timothy, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus assures John, listen, things are rough, but hold on. I am the one that was prophesied to come. I am the one. You don't need to look any further. He's the one that you and I find to be the one, the answer. Does that mean that everybody's going to see it that way? The truth is he's a stumbling block. And that's one of the things Jesus said there. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me, who's not stumbled. He's a stumbling block through the claims that he made, through even discouragement and doubt when things don't turn out as we expect. Also in the book of Matthew, we'll see in chapter 13, when, when people have no root and there's no depth in their faith. And he says that when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. We've got, we got nothing to hold on to because we're not, we're not, you know, have our roots going deep down into the rock of Jesus Christ. But he said, blessed is the man who does not fall away. The blessings are, are there for holding on. And, and it, it was a message to John too. Hold on. Hold on. I think it's a message for you and I too. Hold on. Times do get tough. Times are hard at times. Look at verse 9 or verse 7. It says, as John's disciples were leaving... They left now, and Jesus begins to speak to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? 
No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's houses, king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? He said, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Isn't this interesting? John has gone through these trials as his disciples leave, and Jesus now begins to speak to the crowd about him. Despite John's doubts, despite his discouragement, Jesus had only good words to say about him, the truth to say about John the Baptist. But people had gone, crowds were going out, had been going out to John the Baptist when he was out in the wilderness preaching. And, and he says, what, did you, what were you looking for? A reed swayed by the wind, somebody who was going to, you know, be blown here and there by every wind of doctrine? Someone who is not stable, someone who is, you know, vacillating all the time? Someone who is dressed in fine clothes? Well, they certainly did not find that with John the Baptist, Right? That makes me think of some of our TV evangelists, you know, with $400 uh, suits. Is it all about the clothes, the flash, the, you know, what you see? He says, is that what you went out for? He says, no. He said, you went, out to, you went out to see a prophet. The people who were going out to John the Baptist were not, were not uh, looking for anything but the truth. They wanted the truth, and the, the truth was that it had been a very, very long time since a prophet, a true prophet, had spoken. It was centuries, really, before a true, since a true prophet had spoken. It was hundreds of years, and then John the Baptist comes on the scene. He says, listen, this was more than just a prophet. The truth is that, that John the Baptist was the very last of the Old Testament prophets, the very last to usher in. He, he himself was prophesied about. He was unique. He was different than all the others. But he was the very last one to come before Jesus Christ. Look at, verse, uh, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Zechariah, John's father, says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and he prophesied. And these are some of the words that he prophesied about his own son. He said, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And look at some of these words about what he did. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Is that beautiful? That's what he did. Why? Because not because of what he did, but because he pointed to Jesus who would be the one the answer, the Messiah, the, the one that you and I so desperately need, the prophet of the Most High God, John the Baptist. That's the same guy, let's turn back to Matthew 11, that's the same guy who's now in prison. Malachi <clears throat> prophesied about him. Look in verse uh, chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 10. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. 
Malachi the prophet speaking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist says in John 3, he says, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. So he was a prophet, yes, but he was the one who came directly before the Messiah. Look at verse 11, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus again speaking about John the Baptist, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. He says, John the Baptist, I mean, there's no one, there's no one like him ever. And then he says, this is what I was talking about, kingdom math. Things don't add up kind of like the way we think. He says, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, first of all, John had this incredible place, but John died before the cross, you see. John, John's life was taken before Jesus ever went to the cross, before he ever was able to see that whole thing and understand that whole thing. There's other passages that talk about these prophets who they looked ahead, but they didn't get to see it or hear about it or know it. But you and I, though we'll never be anything like John the Baptist, you and I, being part of the kingdom of heaven, have a place in God's kingdom. And God looks at us like that. You know, we're, we're, we're just as good as him, you know, like, like him. Jesus said in Matthew 18, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's this idea of humility, understanding who we are. Doesn't really add up in my mind. I, I, I'm, I'm a math kind of person. I try to figure out problems. I think, I don't know how that works, but if that's what you say, that's the way it is. The way he looks at you and I. Look at verse 12. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That's an interesting verse. Take that one and and chew on that one for a while. You know, there's a way it, it can be translated in another way that, you know, in a kind of a, <clears throat> a, a, a way to speak of the attacks against the kingdom, the, 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 the violence and force against the kingdom. But also I think it's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to translate it the way it's been trans, translated here, that, that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and that forceful men lay hold of it. I think there's, that's, I think, I think that's, that's what, what, we're, what we're called to understand, that, that you and I need to, to step up and, and use some courage and some effort and some perseverance because of what Jesus has done and take a hold. In the book of Hebrews, one of the warning passages, they're called warning passages, and one of them is that, is that, you know, we would be careful, he says, that you don't just drift away. And if you know anything about sailing and boats, how do you drift away? Not do anything, yeah. If you're in a boat on the water and you turn the motor off, you stop putting any energy in, any, you know, power, any kind of effort, what's going to happen if you stop rowing? You're going to start to drift. To drift away takes no effort whatsoever. He's saying forceful men lay hold of it. 
One commentator says these words. He says, the kingdom has come with holy power and magnificent energy that has been pushing back the frontiers of darkness. He said this is especially manifest in Jesus' miracles and ties in with Jesus' response to the Baptist. He said the kingdom is making great strides. Now is the time for courageous souls, forceful people to take hold of it. That's a call. That's a call for you and I. You know, get off of our backsides. If we truly believe that he's the Messiah, the one, the answer, what are we going to do about it? We're just going to sit and enjoy our little, you know, happy, holy meetings? Or are we going to let people know? You got a guy like, uh, D, like uh, um, D.L. Moody. You read the story about D.L. Moody and how did he come to Christ? There was a, a Sunday school teacher that, that knew of him. That this guy just got so stirred up and he says, I gotta tell him about Jesus Christ. I've got to. He felt like he hadn't really been fully explaining and teaching and telling him the truth about Jesus. He went to D.L. Moody and, and D.L. Moody gave his heart to Christ and, and the rest, as they say, is history. He, he was impacting the whole uh, country and, and many other countries as well as an evangelist, letting people know about Jesus Christ. What, what, is, what kind of effort are you and I putting out? I, I thought of a, a few other verses, in, and one is in Matthew 13, where Jesus said these words, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. He says, When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Sold all he had and bought that field. What are we holding on to that keeps us from, from going full out, forcefully laying hold of this kingdom of heaven? I want to be part of that team, this kingdom that's going forward forcefully, that, that is breaking down the walls of darkness. And I want to be a part, of, I want to be on that team that's going forward. But it's going to take some effort. I can't just, you know, enjoy the American dream. I need to, I need to you know, take up my cross and follow him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, he said, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, that is John the Baptist. And, and since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being, the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Wow. Take a little bit of effort to get in there. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Well, you need to do something about that. He's not going to make you. He's not going to force you. It's more like you need to do something to, like John said, like Jesus says, repent, turn away from your way to his way. That's what you need to do. He's not going to do it for you. I had this thought um, some time back that, that, I've seen it in, in uh, uh, young people, seen it in my own children, that you know what? There comes a time when you need to make this relationship with Jesus Christ your own. And you are the only one that can do that. No one else can do that for you. You can pray for your kids, but there comes a time, there comes a place when they need to make it their own. And maybe you're here and, and you, you're... 
you, you know, you like it, you feel good when you come here, you go to a church, whatever, but if it's not your own, you've got nothing. Forceful men lay hold of it. Everyone is forcing his way into it. Look at verse 13. It says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to let he who has ears, let him hear. He compares him to Elijah. And, and again, there was these prophecies, one of the last, the last two verses in the Old Testament, Malachi. The prophet says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the lamb with a curse. That was the very last prophecy of the Old Testament. I will send you the prophet Elijah. Jesus said, you know what? If you will accept it, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Now, is he Elijah reincarnated? No. He's John the Baptist, but he came, it says in another place that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, even dressed like him, he preached like him. But there was this prophecy again that someone like Elijah would come, Elijah would come. Now, another interesting thing to think about too, is a little side note, is that Elijah does come. The Elijah does come on the mount of what? Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah does come. Who else? Moses. And they also, many Bible teachers believe that in Revelation chapter 11, there are the two witnesses that Elijah could possibly be one of those two witnesses, the Elijah. Interesting. But Jesus says, listen, that... that uh, in one sense, John the Baptist is fulfilling this prophecy about Elijah coming to, you know, to usher in this Messiah. And he who has ears, let him hear. Listen up, if you've got ears, he says. The reason you have ears are for hearing. Verses 16, 19, we'll finish with those verses. It says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. One playing the flute was, and dancing was for a, like a wedding. The dirge and mourning was like for a funeral. We tried, you know, happy songs, happy stuff, no response. We, we did the unhappy, the sad, the, you know, try to grab your heart that way, no response whatsoever. Verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by your actions. No matter what you do, John the Baptist comes, he's got this really harsh, hard message. Jesus comes and he brings the love of God. They rejected both John and Jesus. But wisdom is proved right by our actions. The saying goes, the proof is in what? The pudding. 
And, and, and Jesus came and he did what? He died on a cross for our sins. John the Baptist, he was faithful to fulfill what God had called him to do. And, and God called him home. Of course, we know that. But, but they both came and they did what they were called to do. The cross, the resurrection. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the answer. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And he will certainly return one day to set up his kingdom. Those parts of the prophecies are yet unfulfilled. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we look at the times, understand the times, to, to, to know when it could possibly be that he's very close to returning. Do we know the day or the hour? No. But you look around at some of the things that are going on in the world, you say, well, these kinds of things are, are prophesied. We're, we'll get to them, God for, uh, well, maybe not God forbid. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll, he'll come before we get to Matthew chapter 24 and back in then, you know. You know what I'm trying to say. Look no further. Let's close uh, in, in John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and then we're going to have communion together. I want you to be able to celebrate communion today, knowing that you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you are celebrating Him as the Messiah, as the one who was to come. Look no further. You don't need to try to find another answer another way. Even, even if you're having difficulties, trials, and struggles, maybe things are not going the way you think they should, as John the Baptist was expecting, like the whole nation of Israel, Messiah to come and, and throw off the shackles of Rome. Look at John chapter 6. Look at verse 68. One of these long, long chapters. Jesus had said some pretty startling words. He said, you know, you you need to partake of me. You need to partake of my flesh and drink my blood. And you go, wow, that's kind of heavy stuff. Look at verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He's using these words. He's talking about participating again. In the death and resurrection, and as we begin to part, partake of communion, you know, it, what's going on there? But he had these words to say. And look at verse 60. He says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Talk about being stumbled by something. But look what he says, verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. I think he's trying to explain, you know, the Son of Man will be uh, crucified, buried, rise from the dead, and will ascend into heaven. We're not going to literally, physically eat his flesh and his blood. These words are spiritual. Not to spiritualize everything, obviously. But they're symbolic of the fact of what he has done. But they were stumbled over this. He said, yet the reason is because they didn't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And look at 
John chapter 6, verse 66. Is that interesting? 666. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because as he said to them, you need to partake of me completely and totally. You need to, you know, like what we've been seeing in this chapter of Matthew, you need to be forcefully involved. This isn't just a fun ride. Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. A lot of of them left, but the 12 were still standing there. And so he says to them, what about you? What about yous? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, where else could we possibly go? Look no further. Don't try to find someone else, he says. He says, you know, we have discovered, we understand who you are, that there is no other one who is going to meet the needs of the human race. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a confession for you and for I. And he asks us, are you really here? Are you really with me? Are you truly a believer in me? Do you want to partake of communion today? You want to know that this is what you would say in your heart. I believe and I know that Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. And eternal life is found in you. Don't partake of communion if you don't believe that because it's just a sham. It's a joke. It's a show. But no one's going to look down on you if you decide that you don't want to partake of it. But don't partake of it just because everybody else is doing it, you see. So I want to pray right now, and I want to give you an opportunity as we pray to confess that in your heart to Jesus Christ, that you do believe and know that He is the Holy One of God, the One who was to come. You don't need to look any further. That today is the day of your salvation. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you for your word, who, which, which is so powerful, which is so challenging, which is so uh, encouraging. And, and we looked at the life of John the Baptist and uh, he had his moments, but he was also a servant of yours and, and a very unique place in your, your kingdom. But Jesus, you told him that you were the one. You assured him. And I think you assure us as well that you are the one, the one who was to come, that we need not look any further. And so we confess before you now that we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That you died on the cross for our sins, for my sin that you were buried and that you rose from the dead. And that today we partake of communion to celebrate, to remember the cross until you return. We look forward to you returning, Lord. We do. But until then, we, we pray you'd help us to hold on like John the Baptist had to hold on. And it wasn't easy. But we look to the cross. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God.
morning as we pray, simply if you have not come to that place and you feel like this is the morning, this is the time, this is the day, simply say those words, I believe and know that you are the Holy One of God who died for my sins. And I turn to you and give my life to you. No more messing around. I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.